Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Stephen Jarvis and Friends podcast. Today, I'm back again talking about the Cleveland Browns. Today, we're talking about the 1999 through kind of pretty much the 2000s. I think I'll uh, end off at 2005 with this one. But um, as last or last time we talked about the Cleveland Browns in the 90s, they hire a a good coach at the time in Bill Belichick, giving him his first ever head coaching job. Um, he doesn't do much for the Browns in the 90s. Um, his biggest claim to fame was getting rid of Bernie Kosar. Um, and also, you know, leading them to the playoffs one year. And I think it's the next year they're done. They're pretty much Art Modell is pretty much saying, hey, you know, I'm glad that you guys kind of helped turn this team around, but hate to break it to you, we're mo- I'm moving the team to Baltimore. They become the Baltimore Ravens, and Cleveland has to wait until 1999 to come back. Um, the Browns in 1999, when they rejoined as an expansion team, um, are forced to build a new roster from scratch using rookies, free agents, and the players other teams chose not to protect in the expansion draft. Um, they got fresh faces, cast off, cast offs. They flounder. Um, in the season opener on September 12th of 1999 uh they're shut out 43 to nothing by the Pittsburgh Steelers um and that's the first of seven straight losses and at 2 and 14 they are in nine uh they have a 2 and 14 season in 1999 um they're also 3 and 13 in 2000 which um Tim Couch their supposed um franchise quarterback suffers a season-ending thumb injury and um in early 2001 policy and Lanier fired head coach Palmer um the coach and the team policy says we're not heading in the right direction Mike McCarthy who is the New Orleans Saint New Orleans Saints offensive coordinator Herman Edwards uh Tampa Bay assistant coach and Marvin Lewis Baltimore's defensive coordinator were mentioned as possible replacements for Palmer. Policy also met with Butch Davis, the head coach of the University of Miami's football team. After initially rejecting the offer in December, Davis ends up accepting the job in January. Um, Davis had turned around Miami's uh, football program and put the team back in championship contention. Policy and Lanier hoped he could do the same in Cleveland. Well, the Butch Davis um, era in 2001 starts off pretty good. Um, they contended for a playoff spot or were in contention for a playoff spot until they lost in week 15 against Jacksonville Jaguars, um, which featured one of the most controversial calls in team history. As time expired in the fourth quarter with the Jaguars, I had 15 to 10. Tim Couch led a drive in Jacksonville territory. On a fourth down play that the team needed to convert to stay in the game, Couch threw to receiver Quincy Morgan over the middle. Morgan appeared to bobble the ball before grasping it firmly as he hit the ground. After the pass 
was ruled complete and Couch spiked the ball to stop the clock. Officials reversed Morgan's catch on a Jacksonville challenge. As David Davis pleaded his case that the play could not be reviewed because another play had been run, frustrated fans began throwing plastic beer bottles onto the field amid the bedlam later named Bottlegate. Officials ended the game with 48 seconds on the clock and left the field as objects rained down on them from the stands. After most of the fans had left, NFL Commissioner Paul Tagliabue called and ordered the game to be completed. Jacksonville ran down the clock for the win, and the Browns finished the season at 7-9. and nine. Cleveland would improve again in twenty er, in 2002, but Lanier did not live to see the team make the playoffs. He dies in October of that year at 69 of brain cancer. Browns players wore a patch with the initials of AL for the remainder, remainder of the season. Ownership of the team, meanwhile, passed to his son Randy. Cleveland finished the season with a 9-7 and record, earning a playoff spot in the wild card, as a wildcard team. Couch suffers a broken leg in the final game of the season. However, in backup, Kelly Holcomb started in the Browns' first playoff game versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cleveland held the lead for most of the game as Holcomb passed for 429 yards, but a defensive collapse helped Pittsburgh come charging back in the fourth quarter and win 36-33 to end the Browns' season. This was not only the post this was the only postseason appearance for the Browns since resuming operations in ninety nine until they made the playoffs in twenty twenty. The team's progress under Davis screeched to a halt in two thousand three. The Browns finished five and eleven and Randy Lanier Lerner whatever his last name is, embarked upon a major front office reshuffle. Policy resigned unexpectedly as president and chief executive of the Browns in April of 04, saying things had changed after Al's death. I opened the door and it was like someone sucked the air and life out of Berea, he said. He was a major presence for the organization. I'm talking about the aura and the inner power of the man. John Collins was named as his replacement. Several other Front office execs also stepped down, including chief contract negotiator Lyle Hennigan and lead spokesman Todd Stewart. The 2004 season was a little better, and Davis resigned in November with the team at 3-8. and Lerner had given him a contract extension through 2007 that January, but Davis said intense pressure and scrutiny made the move necessary. Offensive coordinator Terry Robuski was named head coach for the remainder of the season, which the Browns finished four and twelve. Um, I think it's one thing to notice is that you have to realize this team did do a big jump when it first came back, but ultimately it's plagued by mismanagement and also numerous ho- coaches saying, "Hey, you know." We we're not gonna stay, pretty much. Um, in two thousand five, on January sixth, while the Browns were still searching for a new head coach, the team announced Phil Savage's appointment as ge- general manager. Savage, who was the director of personnel for the Baltimore Ravens for two years, had a hand in drafting Ed Reed, Jamal Lewis, Ray Lewis, and other stars for the Ravens. A month later. Cleveland brought in Romeo Cornell as the head coach, signing to a five-year deal with worth $11 million. 
Cornell was the defensive coordinator for the New England Patriots, who had just won the Super Bowl. His style was described as quiet, reserved, and gentlemanly. But he said he wanted to stock the team with tough physical players. Before the start of training camp, the Browns acquired veteran quarterback Trent Dilfer from the Seattle Seahawks. In the draft that year, the Browns took wide receiver Braylon Edwards with the third pick in the first round. Dilfer was the starting quarterback to begin the 2005 season. The team started 2-2 two and two, but had three, two three-game losing streaks later in the season and finished with a 6-10 and 10 record. In the team's final five games, rookie Charlie Fryer took over as a starting quarterback, winning two of those contests. Before the Browns' right, final regular season game, the front office was embroiled in a controversy that threatened to send the team into rebuilding mode. Citing sources, ESPN reported that President John Collins was going to fire GM Phil Savage over philosophical differences in managing the salary cap. The resulting uproar from fans and local media was so strong that it was Collins who resigned on January 3rd, 2006. A replacement for Collins was not immediately named, and Randy resumed his responsibilities. Cleveland regressed in the ensuing season. Finishing with a 4-12 and record, Edwards and tight end Kellen Winslow Jr., who the Browns had drafted in 4 put up respectable numbers, but the Browns were close to the bottom of the league in points scored and offensive yards gained. Fry injured his wrist toward the end of the season and shared starts with quarterback Derek Anderson, who shared promise in f- the five games he played in. During this season, the team produced a series of articles on its website called 60th Moments. The series commemorated the establishment of the Browns 60 years before in 1946, recapturing the 60 greatest moments in franchise history. Beginning on September 6th, of 2006, the Browns site ran articles covering those 60 moments. The final, final article ran on December 31st, 2006. After two losing seasons, the Browns made it back to contention in 2007. After opening with a 34-7 loss to the Steelers, the Browns traded Fry to the Seahawks and put Anderson in as the starter. In his first start, Anderson led the Browns to a surprise 51-45 win over the Cincinnati Bengals, throwing five touchdown passes and tying the franchise record. More success followed, and the Browns finished the regular season with a 10-6 record the team's best mark since finishing 11-5 and in 1994. While the Browns tied with the Steelers for first place in the AFC North, the team missed the playoffs because of two tie-breaking losses to Pittsburgh early in the season. Still, six players were selected to the for the Pro Bowl, including Anderson, Winslow, Edwards, kick returner Josh Cribbs, and rookie left tackle Joe Thomas. Cornell agreed to a two-year contract extension until 2011, and the team hired Mike Keenan as team president, filling a position left vacant until the departure of Collins two years or before. Expectations were high for the 2008 season, but Cleveland finished last in the AFC North with a 4-12 record. Anderson shared starts with Ken Dorsey, who the Browns had acquired by trading away Trent Dilfer and Brady Quinn, a young quarterback the team drafted in 2007. The Browns never contended until 
2008 and failed to score a touchdown in the final six games near the end of the season. Two scandals shook the team. It was revealed that several Browns players, including Winslow, was suffering from staph infections, which raised questions about sanitation in the Browns' Barra practice facilities. In November, Sage found himself Savage found himself in the in the center of a media storm after an angry email exchange with a fan was published on Deadspin, a sports blog. Shortly after the final game, a thirty-one to zero loss to the Steelers, Lanier fired Savage, and a later day, and a day later, Cornell. Holmgren slash Heckert. Cleveland pursued former Steelers coach and Browns linebacker Bill Cower and former Browns scout Scott Polloy for the head coaching job. The team, however, hired former New York Jets coach Eric Mangini in January of 2009. Before the start of the season, Mangini in the front office traded Winslow to the Buccaneers after five seasons marked by injuries and a motorcycle crash that threatened to end the tight end's career. The Browns showed little sign of improvement in Mangini's first year, finishing 5-11 in 09, while Cleveland lost 11 of its first 12 games. The team won the final four games of the season, including a 13-6 victory over the rival Steelers. At the end of the season, Lerner hired former Packers coach Mike Holmgren as team president, moving Keenan to chief financial officer. A month later, the owner hired Eagles front office executive Tom Heckert as general manager. Heckert replaced former general manager George, can't say his last name, Kukenzies, sorry if I butchered that, who was fired the previous November. The new management said Mangini would return for a second season under Holmgren and Heckert's watch. The Browns overhauled the starting quarterback, the quarterback corpse. Brady Quinn was traded to the Denver Broncos for running back Peyton Hillis in March, while Derek Anderson was released. Meanwhile, Jake DeLome was acquired from Carolina and Seneca Wallace from Seattle. The team also drafted quarterback Colt McCoy from the University of Texas with DeLome as the starting quarterback. Cleveland lost its first three games and continued to struggle. Wallace started four games but was replaced by McCoy in the second half of the season. Hillis had a breakout year season rushing for 1,177 yards and was later chosen to appear on the cover of the Madden 12 NFL 12 video game. Despite the emergence of Hillis, the Browns finished with an 11, a 5-11 record for the second season in a row, and Mangini was fired in January of 2011. Following Mangini's firing, the Browns named Pat Shermer as his replacement. Formerly the offensive coordinator for the St. Louis Rams, Shermer helped groom quarterback Sam Bradford, Holmgren, and Heckert hoped he could do the same with McCoy. Contract negotiations between the NFL Players Association and the league shortened the 2011 offseason, which gave Shermer little time to coach McCoy or institute his version of the West Coast offense. The team started at 2-11, then a 3-3, but McCoy's struggles and a lack of offensive production led to a season of defeats, including six straight losses to end the year. The Browns finished the season at 4-12 during the same season. Comedian and frustrated Browns fan Mike Polk 
made a video to complain about the team's futility, screaming, You are a factory of sadness while facing Cleveland Browns Stadium. Factory of sadness has since become a colloquial nickname for the stadium. In the offseason, Hill is signed as a free agent with the Kansas City Chiefs after a lackluster season and unsuccessful contract talks with the Browns. In the 2012 draft, the Browns chose running back Trent Richardson with the third pick and took quarterback Brandon Whedon with the 22nd pick. Whedon was expected to replace McCoy at quarterback after McCoy's limited success in one and a half seasons as a starter. On September 6th, Art Modell died in Baltimore at the age of 87. Although the Browns planned to have a moment of silence on their home opener for their former owner, his family asked the team not to, well aware of the less-than-friendly reaction it was likely to get. Whedon started the Browns' first game of the season. The 28-year-old rookie threw four interceptions and a 17-16 loss to Philadelphia in which the Browns' only touchdown was scored by the defense. Uh, Next time we talk about the Cleveland Browns, we're going to talk about new ownership under the Haslam's and their continued struggles, which happened between 2012 and 2019. I also want to thank you all for showing, um, for making this a great success. Hopefully we all, you know, keep pitching in and show that, you know, we're still a great podcast. Um, if there's anything you guys would like me to change, I would love to hear it. You can email me at stevenjarvis10 at gmail.com or there should be possibly a comments uh, page where you can comment and all that. So I hope you all enjoyed another episode of the Stephen Jarvis and Friends podcast. And this is Stephen Jarvis signing off. Thank you and goodbye.